This is Proxilla Radio, the UK's first dedicated progressive rock music radio network. You're listening to Tabletop Genesis, a podcast by Genesis fans for Genesis fans. Good morning and welcome to Tabletop Genesis. This is Mike Lord. This is Ellie here. Hello, everybody. This is Simon. This is Stacy. And this is Tom. And we're here to discuss Tony Banks's first solo album, A Curious Feeling, which actually also brings us to this stage in this podcast where we have covered or are covering the one solo album from each of the five main members. Anthony Phillips, you will not be left out in the cold. We will discuss you at some point. So this album came out in 1979. Simon, why don't we jump into the Wikipedia entry for this? Sure, okay. Um, A Curious Feeling is the debut solo album from Genesis keyboard player Tony Banks, recorded at Abba's Polar Music Studios during a brief Genesis hiatus. I can't imagine what was going on. (laughs) It was released in 1979 on Charisma Records and is one of only two Banks solo albums to have entered the UK album charts, reaching number 21 and stayed on the chart for five weeks. That's not bad. The cover design is by Hot House, I think it is, and the painting is entitled Woolawait Boatman of the Dead by Australian artist Alency Roberts. It's a very evocative cover, and I'm not an art person, and I, I actually think this is kind of a interesting cover for this album. Indeed. Sorry, can I just say, I think I pronounced that the artist's name wrong. I think it's Anne Silly Roberts. Okay. I think it is. Uh, and if I've got that wrong and you're listening, my profound apologies. Please reach out to us and let us know. <laughs> so, And uh, actually, the cover pertains to one of the songs later on the album. It does. It does. Ah, oh, we'll get there. <laughs> Wait for it. Yes. So, what are before we jump into this, our normal track by track review of this album? What's people's general thoughts about this? How did you feel listening to this? How did you first get introduced to this album, if you remember? Actually, I remember pretty specifically. It was the summer of two thousand one, and I think I'd had the CD for a while, but it just I just never gave it its due, and for some reason. Summer of 2001, I decided to give it a couple more listens, and it was on permanent rotation for a while, and there was a lot going on in my life. I was in L.A., but I was thinking about moving back east, and then I met a girl, and I stayed, and it was a whole big thing, but I, so every time I listen to this album, it brings me back to that summer, but that's when I really got into it and discovered it, and there was one song in particular that always reminds me of that time, and it's... it's weird because I don't think of it as like a, a 79 album. Now it's like an early 2000s album. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> but uh, I think it's a great first effort for Tony Banks. And, and you can see how he writes songs here and what he's brought into Genesis up to this point, especially the instrumental keyboard solos. Obviously, there's a lot on here. But you can see what he brought into uh, the band because now it's just him doing everything. Right. I bought this album also in the 2000s, probably in the early 2000s when I was living in the UK. Uh, I think in Argentina, maybe you could get it. Uh, but anyway, I did only in the 2000s. Shame on me. <laughs> but I, I gave it a listen and I loved it. And then I never listened to it again for some reason. I don't know why. Sorry, Tony. <clears throat> but I think it's a great album. album. Sure. It's, I love it. 
I probably bought this, again, on CD. I've never had a vinyl copy of this. And I would want to say, whenever it came out, whenever the Virgin, Virgin Records version came out, I want to say sometime in the 90s is probably when I bought it. I want to say I got it during my college years, which would have been the early 90s, but I'm guessing there. But I remember having this for quite a while. Not for a while, quite a while. And, <laughs> and, um, it's going to be a lot more. Yes. <laughs> this, we will be full of puns and dad humor today. The, um, and I liked it, but it was also, I always thought it was an album that sounded very flat. Not like flat, sharp musically, but just it all sounded kind of the same. It sounded kind of, I, I don't want to say muddy, but it wasn't terribly dynamic. And so when the reissue came out in the late two, th- 2009 or so, um, Yes, 2009. I thought this 5.1 mix and I was was great because it really opened up the music for me. This is not really an album that's 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 touched down in my life that much. Sure. I do remember my my brother playing this album uh, a lot when he first started getting into keyboards. And funnily enough, actually, we were talking about this just off mic that the mm-hmm. the two albums I always remember my brother listening to at the time was A Curious Feeling and Anthony Phillips's 1984. And uh, as a result, I kind of absorbed this album through his listening okay. of it in the house. It was always on somewhere right. in the house. Um, and uh, we were only discussing in the car yesterday um, as we were looking for people to run over. Um, <laughs> the, but we, we, we were discussing exactly that, the, the, the lack of dynamics on the, uh, yeah. on the, the earlier pressings. Right. And uh, I'm, I'm very glad to hear that the, the, the reissue in the 5.1 has, has corrected that because there is... I mean, just in the in the listening over it over the last week, it's a huge amount of nuance and a huge yes. amount of depth to this album, which is I, I personally think I never picked up on that that first time round. So uh, it's it's rewarding me with a new listen. I have no memory of obtaining this album, <laughs> but yet you have it. <laughs> but I have it on vinyl, and I, I do have it on CD. Um, so yeah, I, I have. It, it's not like. You know, you there's know some albums. You know, some al- albums you buy and you come across, and you know, ex- you know what the weather was like the yes. day you first listened to it. This, sure. I have no memory, but that's right. not to say um, I don't have major love feelings to this album because I think it's an incredible album. Yeah. Um, I love the concept of it. Mm-hmm. I like the artwork. Um, one of the things that I particularly that particularly stands out for me as a Tony Banks fan is that his lyrics are just. Um, you know, one of his best, I think, just as a whole. You know, there's not a lot of bread bin and sheets of double glazing in this right. album. He's very straightforward, but also very evocative, which I like. Um, and yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it, like Simon said, it, it rewards you every time you listen to it. Because like you, Mike, when I first started listening to it, I did feel there was a lack of dyna- mm-hmm. dynamicism. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, with closer listening and again with, mm-hmm. you know, the, the remaster, it does open up, um, mm-hmm. and it's something you can appreciate over and over again. I think one thing that, uh, Tony has said in interviews about this album is that he basically kind of had the amount of narrative that went into a song, like one for the vine mm-hmm. stretched out over an album. So we could get a bit deeper into mm-hmm. the ideas behind things instead of cramming it all into one 10 minute song basically and so and I think that's that's a real benefit to this album that there's this idea of 
the, a, a narrative that's not necessarily a linear story, although there are certain points that are hit, but it's not it's not beating you over the head with it being right. a, a narrative. There's still moods that each of the songs bring out that I think feed into the narrative, but it's not something where you have where you have to know the narrative to understand it. But mm-hmm. Tony did call it a concept album, right? Yeah. In the liner notes yes. to uh, <laughs> in the reissue, right? I think it was it was based or loosely kind of based on Flowers for Algernon. Correct. Um, and originally, I think it was going to be titled that, except there was a play in the West End about to start, a musical called Flowers for Algernon, right. and they suggested, well, maybe don't call it the same thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It'd be confusing. So. And for trivia fans, that West End musical was starring Michael Crawford, who was the fan of the opera in the right, U.S., on, yeah. and the music was written by Charles Strauss, Oh. Who did Annie? Bye bye, Birdie. Oh. Uh, the theme from All in the Family. <laughs> have you heard this uh, this musical? <laughs> no, I have not. Okay. It, it only, according to Wikipedia, it only ran nine days yes. in the West End. And Tony's <laughs> like, "Darn it! I should have kept I my. Should have <laughs> I should have waited." And, yes. uh, but that's good. I, I think that generally, I I really enjoy this album. Also, I think it's it's interesting that. You know, people dis- describe Voyage of the Acolyte as the Lost Genesis album, and I think this is also another Lost Genesis album, just because Tony's writing is so strong in Genesis that any solo album he does is going to have that fl- strong flavor to it. I mean, I hate to uh, to bring up, a, once again, in this episode that Tom has mentioned, because it, I think it's becoming a bit of a leitmotif whenever mm-hmm. we talk about um, Genesis solo albums, but they do act as a, a keystone, if mm-hmm. you will, as to what the input of each member actually was into the Genesis sound. And you can you can really hear it with this album. You can hear all of those sweeping melodies, that sort mm-hmm. of neoclassical element. I mean, we were discussing it this again a couple of days ago, that out of all of the members of the band, I think... Tony Banks wrote from the most European perspective. Mm-hmm. This is a great example of uh, exactly what Tony can do as an artist and what he brought to the. Uh, I'm sorry to use this; it's an old cliche. Now we used it on a couple of occasions. What he brought to the Genesis table. No, I think it's it's absolutely true. I I don't. Uh, I think that what you're saying is kind of the nature of these, especially first solo albums, where it is more about. Oh, here's material that I'm working on just after finishing a, a Genesis tour and album, and knowing that oh, I can do my own thing, but it's still within that that vocabulary, that musical vocabulary. And, and to think, bring it down to a really base level, it, it, it often solo albums feel like they've all had a good creative poop. <laughs> <laughs> right, they clear the decks, as it were. Clear so. the poop decks, of course. So. <laughs> Well, I think on that note, we'll jump into the first track on this album, From the Undertow. Thank you. 
think to be really honest with you, when it comes to this track, you can't do better for a handshake than that first chord. That kind of sums up a, everything about you're about to listen to on the album and almost like everything you, you know about Tony Banks as a keyboard right. player. I'm Tony Banks. Here is my chord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Tony Banks, bitches. <laughs> and there's like that, it's a great chord and excuse my musical ignorance, but there's like almost like a discord to it. Like there's one note which is like there's something odd about what's about to happen sure. here like a spooky kind of quality to it right but it's a great intro for it's like the opposite of day in the life by the beatles where they end on a chord this album begins on a chord there's obviously in i like pointing out the obvious in the title and both the music it, it echoes undertow from uh, and then there were three so i would imagine the people who you know genesis fans of the day who were listening to this it's also a familiar way to be introduced to the album like oh i recognize this melody this feels like familiar music in a different setting right just about a minute into it you have that kind of harken back to the theme of uh undertow stand up to the blow right that fate has struck upon you then it goes into you know make the most of all that you still have coming to you but like a little bit slower and more majestic in this part and it took me a while to i knew that this was originally supposed to be like an intro to undertow and it was never used which i think is good mm-hmm. but then it took me a while to actually pinpoint where those themes were in this song that harken okay. back to undertow but once you once you hear them, you can't unhear them. Right. Right. Yeah, it's very clear. And uh, yeah, Phil and Mike, I think, said, no, it's not necessary to have this long introduction to Undertow. <laughs> <laughs> He's not the only one rejecting. But right. That happens. And I think it's 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 also, and I kind of think about the lyrics to Undertow in the context of this album, also that it's it's about kind of standing up to the the blow that fate has brought upon you in different ways, and I think that. It's not a direct connection, but I still feel an affinity with those lyrics to this album. Yeah, I think it it, it absolutely works well. Um, the lyrics of Undertow with the theme of this album, and also I kind of when I first heard this, and I uh, when I hear it now, I associate it with an actual like a sense you are on the sea because it does mm-hmm. rise and fall a lot musically. Um, and that discord, you know, you know, this is troubled waters, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, and maybe, you know, you're not sure what's up ahead and what's coming. That, I, I think it has a very good feel to it. Yeah. And it really does set the tone for the the kind of tumultuous uh, journey our char- main character goes on in this album. Um, and I just really like the interplay of piano and synth. I think it's one, I mean, Tony does that brilliantly. Um, and this is a great example of, of that. All the different sounds that he employs in, in a song and across an album, you know, it's just executed really well. I, I agree. With I made a note to myself that it was the keyboard arrangement, the, mm-hmm. the musical arrangement that Tony does, especially on the instrumental tracks of this album, is outstanding just to be able to kind of layer this and and kind of know how it's all going to come out maybe not know initially how it's all going to come out but then through the recording process be able to say oh let's add this let's add that it it all feels very organic when it really has to be very thought out mm-hmm. and i and that's a, a very a great talent of tony's is to make this all sound as if not that you're just dashing it off but that it's it's a very organic feel to this coming together and I think that Stacy, you said something about 
kind of liquid and it, and mm-hmm. this this album also has always felt very very watery to me mm-hmm. and both because of the certain titles of the tracks and but it's also there's a lot of it that I feel like I'm on a ship mm-hmm. you know taking taking a voyage uh, I think the uh, somebody else's dream is very much like that to me but that's this is a setting that starts that an undertow is a nautical term also mm-hmm. so I think that all ties together well, this song was used in a film in 1978 called The Shout, which Tony and Mike had written right. music for. And if you're listening now, stop what you're doing. <laughs> Go to YouTube and watch the trailer for The Shout. It is unbelievable. <laughs> it has got to be one of the worst horror films ever made. It is It is one of those, if you like bad horror films, I'm sure this would be right up your alley. Okay. But watch the trailer. The movie star John Hurt, oh. who just passed, passed away recently, away. Uh, about three quarters into the trailer, you can hear from the undertow okay. a little bit, but go watch it. It's can, incredible. Can we can we go watch it right now? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen this. It is. I just watched yes. it for the first time like yesterday, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> All right, I know what we're doing after this recording. Right. Uh, we'll pull it up on Netflix. All right. <laughs> we'll watch the movie. <laughs> All right. With that, we will move into Lucky Me. the stage for the album it's almost written it's almost written it is written as <laughs> be definitive it is written as as kind of a like a summary a precis before the story saying this is my story i haven't really thought about it much but you know here it is and it's it's good for that you know once again you realize this is a concept album some of these songs fit into place a bit better 
Now, when I my one comment about the lyrics, <laughs> and I'm going to offer this with no comment, <laughs> is that I thought he was singing about himself a little bit. Tony was. Me too. Yeah. You know, when I when Ooh. it says my name is unimportant and my job, you could call me. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like okay, is that is that ironic, sarcastic, or yeah? yeah. <laughs> I mean, just based on all of the interviews I've ever heard, mm -hmm. not that there's been a ton where he's kind of oh, nobody listened to my solo album. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he's he, kind he didn't, of he didn't know that at this point. That's true. true. I know. But he all, but he's always been one of those people who who was fine with fading into the background right. as the public face of Genesis. But I think there's a, the ego in him maybe wanted a little bit more yeah, at sure. times than that. So I I'm sorry Mr. You Banks. Always, yeah, <laughs> you always want what you don't have. Yeah. yeah and sure. so that 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 kind of came across. I mean it, it absolutely like you said works to to yeah. introduce the concept and it goes with the story and the character right. he's writing about, but there I thought there was the a subtext. little bit of a there's a subtext there, um, maybe a little autobiographical. Sure. Yeah, a little bit of like British sense of humor. Right. <laughs> yes. Sure. The other thing that I, I noticed about this and and it is is actually quite apparent in my opinion on on this first track is the choice of vocalist, yes, um, I think is important for this because, uh, for, for starters, when I first heard this, I I didn't really have an opinion. I I, I actually believe, and um, and all apologies if you're out there listening to this. Um, who who is the, the the gentleman singing? Kim Beaton. He actually died a number of years ago, oh, so he's not well, out there okay. anymore. Well, the bottom line here is that now you're respect, really going to feel bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in respect to Kim, I, I I did think I initially did think that the uh, the actual performance across the entire album vocally was a bit anodyne. Mm. But the bottom line here is that there's a, like so many things with with Tony, there's a subtlety yes. to it that you really have to go into and. And also, Stacy pointed out that it does share a, some characteristics with Peter Gabriel's voice, sure. that gravelly quality to, to his, his voice. Okay, it's maybe a little bit more, um, what would you say, uh, less rough around the edges. In some ways, it kind of makes sense, because when you think about how long he and Gabriel worked together... You know, I don't think he was he was instantly going to go from from Peter Gabriel to Phil Collins to Lemmy. Right. You know, he was always yeah. going to find that kind yeah, of somebody vocalist. in that same family of style. Yeah. No, I hear you. I think that I like you. I've grown to like his presentation more over the years. The one part I think, and again, I kind of I, I always feel bad about being critical about these type of things, is that I think for some of the more dramatic parts. It doesn't rise to the his voice doesn't rise to the occasion the way that Peter or Phil's could, hmm. and again it's only in a couple places I think in, in the great majority of this, of this album it's fine but there's a couple places where I think a really great vocalist who's maybe not as technically competent as Kim Beacon was Tony talks about how he was able to do vibrato in time with the, himself with different uh, different takes for backing vocals, which he thought was really impressive. Tony thought it was really impressive. It is really impressive. Though. Yeah. So and and that that but I think that, you know, whereas Peter or Phil might be less trained vocalists, they have the emotion that can put the end of supper's ready over the top for you. So it, so yeah. So I think I think he's a very solid vocalist for this album. If if, if a little less idiosyncratic Correct. Than, yeah. Yes. I, I enjoyed his voice more on the quieter yeah. songs. There's a couple songs, as you said, where 
he really has to push the high screaming yeah. kind of thing and it's it feels like it's strained a little bit like he's he's just not getting it the way that phil or or peter would have gotten it but on the quieter tunes like in the dark yeah. or some some of the quieter moments that he's singing I, I i find his voice enjoyable and i was wondering is he was he someone that was famous anyone around that time just just he had done random. a version of he's not heavy he's my brother he was with string driven thing if i remember right um which is a band i know the name of but have never heard anything of so i think he was a professional singer but wasn't somebody well known yeah i think tony uh, heard that song that version yeah. that he did and he loved it and he said well maybe i'll try this him out and, and even in the liner him. notes classic tony banks he's like i didn't really like the song that much but his voice was really good <laughs> <laughs> I didn't write it, so I didn't really like it. That <laughs> it's not my fault. This track, to me, reminded me a lot of Small Creeps Day. And again, shows the, the similarity of styles between them. This is more of, at least to my mind, it sounds like more of a guitar-driven song, you know, even though it may be a type of keyboard that's doing that melodic kind of da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da throughout the, the song. It might be a guitar, too. Mm. Again, you know, keyboard and guitar in this era of Genesis land can be very similar to each other. But listening to it, I was like, yeah, this, this gives me the feel of Small Creeps Day in a lot of ways. Which is why I think initially we thought about doing these podcasts, Small Creeps and A Curious Feeling, together. And then, I think, wisely decided not to do yeah. them together. I think we owe it to, to both solo yes. albums and, and the artists that made it, really, to, to, to talk about it a little bit more in depth. Agreed. Yeah. I love the voice of uh, Kim in this, in this song. But Tony played all the instruments but drums, I think, right? Correct. So Chester Thompson came this, in. This leads me round to another quick question I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you guys. is How many solo albums ha- by Genesis artists has Chester played on? Well, he played on on this, on Curious Feeling. Please don't touch. He hasn't played on any of Mike's stuff. I didn't think so. Hasn't played on any... He played on live albums for Phil, right. but nothing studio. So is it just these two? Just these two, I think, That's actually. Um, I don't think... He didn't do drums on The Fugitive at all. After that, I like... Daryl shows up on a couple of Tony's albums. I didn't know that. Uh, as he does all over the place on Phil's. But Chester, those were the only studio experiences. So, and both relative, both with Steve, who had left the band at that point, and Tony, which was during this break in 78, 79. Well, can I just say, I think he absolutely landed the performance. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially on the remix, because again, I thought that the, the weak sounding drums on the original yeah. mix was, was a lack. And on the remix that was done, it really puts it. It really gives the drums, I think, the sound they should have had originally. So kudos to the both to Chester for playing them and for the remix for bringing that out. <laughs> so this is a great little song. I think for me again, it it really kind of it's the the prelude. It's the opening scroll in the Star Wars movies mm-hmm. to to this album. Really letting you know what's what's going on. <clears throat> Just two letters, eh. Oh. Yeah. I don't know this song this song doesn't I don't know yeah. it's alright it just kind of goes in it's an goes out yeah. yeah but I don't know the, the ending of the chorus lucky me I don't know it, it, it's very depressing a little bit because you know he's not really feeling lucky <laughs> right so it's know. a bit samey I did say that it was kind of you know a bit one mood throughout the entire track I suppose though you can always say that when you are talking specifically about Tony Banks in my personal listening experience of his music 
it's about the totality yes. rather than the individuality of the you know I, I think he always thinks in terms of the body of work mm. rather than I mean I suppose they all think about moments and there are some wonderful moments on this album mm-hmm. but I suppose if you take this song in the totality it kind of makes sense doesn't it mm-hmm. it agreed we'll now move on to The Lie this track i think this is uh kim beacon's best vocal performance okay. in my opinion agree, yeah. this is my favorite of his um i think this is right in his wheelhouse mm. for the, his range um and this song is it seems like a flashback to our main character so when this yes. whole his whole situation started um which is pretty interesting um i've never read flowers for algernon actually i have it on 
I just downloaded it to okay. read on a uh, upcoming trip I have. I have a long flight ahead, so I was going to read it. Um, it's a feel-good book. I know. I know it's going to cheer me up. A lot of, in the U.S. at least, it's one of those books that is assigned in middle school a lot. Yes, I think I Sound did. English. Yeah. I think I did read it. Yeah. Wasn't there a movie? I don't, don't want to. Charlie. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Would you it's get also it been track? banned from some libraries for yes. some reason. Okay. Yeah. So, People and, who don't like mice. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, I'm going to read the story, but I'm wondering if anybody here has read the book, and it's, do these lyrics really match up with it, or is well, it like a... In the, in the story, it's more of a scientific experiment that right. somebody who is developmentally challenged is given a treatment that allows him to be insanely bright. Uh, but then it fades. Yes. It reminds me actually of that movie Awakenings that's mm. more about, you know, people who have this kind of sleeping disease right. that then kind of wake up over time. Um, this story, Tony talks about changing the plot to make it more of almost this kid daydreaming that he would always making deals about things. And then, right. you know, it's not clear about this, but I'll just jokingly say the devil then says, right. oh, you'll be bright and smart and intelligent as long as you never you know fall in love right uh so again it's that you know you'll have something good if you withhold yourself from something so that's right. that's tony's story the it's, yeah, yeah. Okay. Which so is another, like changing, i mean that's yes. if that if there's an allegory <laughs> for british repression so it's like you can either have an emotionally full life or yes. a or mentally and intellectually full life, full life. Yes. Can't, and have can't have either can't have both oh so. tony in yes. word yes. world so, are you saying that my insane brilliance is going to go away <laughs> but tony's a guy who who i think has managed to do again i'm going to be armchair psychologist but he's managed to have both this right. fulfilling creative life and a stable home life that seems to be fulfilling from the outside. And a full head of hair for you. Yes, exactly. And, and, and looks very distinguished. So I have to say that when my mom did watch, because of my connection with Genesis, um, our connection with Genesis, watched the Some of the Parts uh, documentary, and she said, that Tony Banks... He looks really nice. Exactly. I said, you know, my mom's a bit older than Tony is, not, but not by a huge amount. But I was like, I could see, you know, distinguished older English gentleman. Oh, my mom's got the hots for Tony Banks. Too. There we go. It's he's he's every mom's uh, pinup. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my mom couldn't pick Tony Banks out of a lineup. So. <laughs> but back to the lie. Yeah. Yes. Right. I, lo I love the opening chord is the same as the one from Forever Morning. Ah, so it's kind of like yeah. a it sets it up for what's to come later. Um, and the yeah. line Forever Morning is in this song exactly, too. Exactly. Yeah. So sorry. Good one. No, no, that's me. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to read that lyric now. I did. Oh, I nice. was not yes. aware of that. Yes. Oh, forever, forever morning after morning the, after the yeah. night before. Thank you. You're welcome. Wow, I actually contributed something to this, to this discussion. I'm so excited. Oh, it's it's. It, but that shows the layering here that yeah. both you know Tony doesn't just choose the titles of instrumentals willy nilly. Right. Um. But willy nilly. But it's <laughs> but it's also relevant to the story here. So yes, I in this story it is more of. An outside power is kind of controlling this guy's destiny. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. And he, musically, he I really love how he 
when he introduces this outside power, mm-hmm. it, the song just totally pivots yeah. in another direction. Right. Um, you know, you kind of had this rollicking, was it 6-8 yeah. um, intro going into it in the verses. And then as soon as this character, this other being comes into it, like mm-hmm. I said, it just pivots into this like slower, you know... You can hear there's another voice now being introduced right. to the song. It's a musical way of telling the story. Exactly. Yeah. That might be what I call the Abba jaunt. Okay. Like oh, have about okay. two minutes into it, all of a sudden he goes to this yeah. Abba like yes. kind of so jaunt. Yeah, trick of the tail. Virgil. I thought maybe while he was in the Abba studios, maybe he kind of heard him kind of doing it. And he's like, I'm going to make the middle of the song just like an Abba song. Well, that stuff was in the air back then, you know. There was something in the air. Exactly. The stars were bright. Fernando. Our next episode will be an Abba podcast. And the one thing that this song does have, which it's one line, which sometimes a line will just get in your craw. Is a line some may say some might call him stupid to tempt fate in this way. I don't know, just the way that line is sung and the way it just seemed very awkward to so me. So you're saying that that's the album's bread bin moment? No, there's no. a big, it's a huge yeah, I know what you're gonna bin. say. Oh, I know what you're gonna say. Off. I think we might. There's a huge. This one just kind of irks me, but there's another one later on which I put up there with worst song lyrics ever okay. no for this track or is there another a different track oh there's a different it? track yeah oh this because uh, I was going to say there is a line here that I I, I was like line. as soon as I read it I was like Tom's going to uh-uh. he's going to mention this okay. one he's just made a pact with himself if that rabbit over there doesn't go down yonder hole <laughs> alright yeah that's yes. pretty bad <laughs> old Englishy there yeah yonder is a those yonder up. holes you gotta watch out <laughs> It's funny, look, looking at this in the totality of, of Tony's career now, both in Genesis and outside it, you know, lyrics like this is almost something that is is just part of what you get with Tony Banks. Exactly. And it's and if you like it, you like it. And if not, you just trying to shake your head at it and go, well, at least like the music's said, good. It's a very tiny, mo- it's a one line. Yeah, but yeah. I said, you know, as I said earlier, overall, these are some really yeah. good lyrics, yeah, you know, um, very thoughtful, but not, like you said, overly intellectual, right. as I think they tended to be maybe, you know, five to ten mm-hmm. years ago yeah. when he was starting to lyric, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he, these these little lines here and there creep in. Yeah. It's, it's the first big plot song. Yeah. And, and Tony likes words. Yes. I think that's something very Unsingable interesting. Unsingable words. Yeah, exactly. Yes. He doesn't have to sing them. So he's like, all right, okay. let's move along. And with that, we'll move on to basically part two of this song called After the Lie. Oh, I could not seem to lose this childhood specter I
me, this is the best of the vocal tracks on the album. I think Kim Beacon's voice is very suited to the song. I think it works with the instrumental kind of bits. Uh, so any song that has vocals, this is my favorite on the album. Oh, nice. Better than The Lie, after The Lie for me. Okay. Okay. You prefer post-lie. I prefer post-lie. Post <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a song that I, at least I didn't realize. Oh, there's this is an, another song, a different song other than The Lie. No, I just want to say that in the middle section, there's a keyboard solo that reminded me of Jami Jajar. I'm a big Jami Jajar fan. And for some reason, I don't know why. <laughs> it yeah. reminded me. It's fair or enough. I thought about, oh, okay. Well, the technology was fairly similar at the time, wasn't it? Right. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was the first big keyboard moment on the album. You know, it's not, I mean, I don't want to not count from the undertow, for example, but that wasn't, that was more the arrangement versus a solo, right. for example. So there's more sounds, yeah, ambience. And... Yeah, it's more about the construction of the of the piece. So yeah, I, and I thought this was a really cool solo with it. Um, we were discussing lyrics on the last track. Uh, this perhaps has my clunkiest award, <laughs> uh, the, the award for the clunkiest lyric. I like clunky. I like that word. Yeah, <laughs> clunky. Uh, anybody want to guess what it might be? Wait, I'm pulling it up now. Okay. Let's see. Like Paul the Visionary? No, that's actually okay. No. I like the reference there. Uh, I'm assuming biblical reference, right. not to Paul Williams or somebody like that. <laughs> Paul, um, McCartney. Paul McCartney, exactly. Um, I mean, uh, to me, I think just even reading this out loud, now I know it's a change in the way that people look at me and how those people look to me. I mean, it's a clever yeah. line, but to me, the singing. I'm amazed people aren't jumping what? to. I'm amazed people are not jumping to, and the complicated structures of scientific knowledge. Oh, wait, I, I didn't scroll down far enough. <laughs> <laughs> In the third, sort of yes, verse. just the, it's, and actually, Kim Beacon pulls it off okay, but it's it's just one of those lines it's where I'm like, wow. I'm like, that is, you know, if you're a it's singer. It's a triple word school thing. <laughs> exactly. You know, that's that's where you want to say to Tony, can you sing this first for me so I get a sense of how, you, how you're hearing, hearing it in your head? And um, it must have been a nice day in the recording studio with that. <laughs> so I think Phil would have just rewritten the line, uh, or Peter too. But it's uh, it's it fits the song, but it's it's a little wordy. Well, clunky line aside, I agree that yes. it's very clunky. Um, yeah. This is my favorite track on the album. To me, this uh, encompasses everything I love about Tony: mm -hmm. the arrangement, the songwriting, mm -hmm. the the solo. Yeah. Um, you know, I could listen to this on repeat all day. I'd be happy to do that. Um, and I rate this song higher than a lot of the output from Genesis and the other members um, around this time. Okay. Um, you know, this is right up there with, to me, um, you know, One for the Vine, okay. 11th Earl Mar, um, you know, anything from Duke, too. Well, <laughs> like I said, it's better than a lot of the yes. <laughs> tracks right. around that time. So I, I really enjoy listening to this. Right. But it's very, it, it has a, this is one of those tracks on the album that there's maybe two or three on here where I'm like, oh yeah, this could have fit in nicely on Duke. Yeah. Um, it's It felt more looking forward than just being a continuation of, and then there were three, for example. Whereas, you know, From the Undertow, for its own reason, feels very much, and then right. there were three-ish. Um, so I think that's, yeah, I, I really enjoy this one. as kind of the, the conclusion of the lie suite. It's also, this album was produced by David Henschel as Correct. well, yeah. isn't it? So there is a very sort of late, late period Genesis-y sound to the album. Right. 
And I wonder if that's part of it, you know, using him for Genesis and using him for solo albums, if that was then post-Duke, if that was part of the, pro- the the issue of saying, okay, maybe we've done enough, done as much with David Henschel as we can. So let's kind of mix up the sound a little bit because it's, you kind of, especially seeing that production style across albums and with different, not just being Genesis albums, you see kind of what he brings to the table. I think he got sick in the middle of the process. He got mumps or something. Yeah, it says uh, in Tony's interview. Yeah, he said that the engineer, David Bascom, who's become a a well-known producer in his own right, basically kind of did the early stages of this album with Tony. Because David was ill. Yes. All right. Yes. Uh, So the next track is A Curious Feeling. It's a curious feeling. To me, a curious feeling is the obvious single on the on the album, and it's funny that I think the only single released from this. I was going to say, and was, was it? No, it was not. It was for a while, perhaps a one of the more depressing songs on the album. Um, it's it's funny what record companies think are singles and what they don't. You know, this has kind of a not a dance feel to it, but it has a lighter feel to it that I think could have been. You know, a decent radio track. Of all the songs in the album, this is the most pop formula. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like you said, it's a little upbeat. I love singing along to this album, even though I don't really know the words. So I get to like, yeah, and I'm dancing around. I mean, it's fun. It's a fun track. I would love to hear this live. I think this, you know, in addition to being a single, this would have been a cool song to hear in concert. Yeah, I agree. Well, if you you can YouTube it, this the that cover performance strictly banks right they included this in their performance Did they? so you do have a chance yeah. to see it live okay. probably the only time it's ever been performed live ever and how what, what did you think i didn't watch the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> no only because uh, at some point i'll sit down and watch the whole thing right. on youtube i just thought you might have watched this track i i kind of skipped around just ah, to hear a little okay. bit of each one uh and it was fine i think i think they okay. did a great job of interpreting tony banks's songs this song yeah it does have that you know, it's got a good beat. You can dance to it, kind of feel to it. It does scream single. Um, kudos for Tony for starting the song 
yelling the title. Right. <laughs> I mean, that was a, it's a curious feeling. I mean, that was something I yelled every morning during puberty. But uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't think this song is about that. So. Well. Well, Could maybe. <laughs> you can put your own interpretations on it, however it might be. The man from UNCLE could oh, be a totally different. That is my. That's that, the winner of. The that is my winner of the clunker. Because I didn't actually, I kind of was like Stacy. I sang along to this and did the na 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 na. Went yeah. for lyrics and I looked at the lyrics and I kind of regret it now because <laughs> <laughs> the line goes. So if anybody tells you stories of how they're going to change your world, be they the Aga Khan, the ex Shah of Iran, or the man from UNCLE, which is supposed to be the man from Uncle. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh come on! No. <laughs> I thought it was very. I, I oh. thought it was. <laughs> It reminds me, it's like I have some worse lyrics. And, and one of them which was up there was, Merlion has a lyric, she looked like she'd had sex with a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And that was my ultimate worst lyric ever. And this is up there with that. Yeah. But not worse than that. So. Oh, I no. thought yours was love as hard as algebra. Oh, that's another one. So. <laughs> See, I was I actually wrote down that I really liked the chorus and that I thought oh. the Shah of Iran thing was timely for when this came out. Uh, Man from Montreal was from the 60s, but in the Otter Khan, who knows when that was from. But I thought I actually liked that chorus and I, I think it is singable. I mean, if he so, said the man from Uncle, you get that. But when he has to spell it out, you're like. But that it makes the rhythm of the words fit when you spell it out. I, when he says I think the man is... from UNCLE, you're expecting him to say another letter. Okay, gentlemen, I'll hold your coat. We'll go <laughs> yes, yes, this is the the nature of train spotting right now. The arguments that come up. There are supposedly they don't exist anymore. But Tony did talk in interviews about there being demo versions of these tracks with him singing with Tony singing and that they actually he actually used a lot of the drum machine things that the, the Roland drum so machines they had yeah. gotten yeah. that he said oh if I had left those on the base of tracks that would have kind of beat Phil's album by you know a couple months to a year with that so you know I said maybe there's a, maybe it's maybe there's tapes in an attic somewhere of these versions so. and there they should remain oh <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> see I like those kind of demo you know versions and everything yeah so but what I wrote about a curious feeling is not sure about it <laughs> <laughs> sorry take so, your time so the song it didn't sell this song didn't sell you no it didn't... no no I was like oh a pop song okay alright <laughs> no not my thing that's fine that's my hardcore prog girl <laughs> <laughs> that's right not enough time signatures I mean, a 20 minute song right some pop song not enough time changes in there so. <laughs> this is this song kind of stands apart a little bit from the, the narrative that was established mm. with the lie and after the lie yeah because he's kind of this is more of Tony's social commentary about right. you know uh, that that line the more you know the more you don't know right. um, you know what is what what is more valid a feeling mm -hmm. or a thought mm -hmm. or you know intuition and this kind of examination into what is real what is mm -hmm. I mean I am overanalyzing this no, I that's, can that's tell. I mean I, I kind of even thought I'm, I'm that this that this song might be very apropos to today like like the one side has their way of the way is the world is going to be better right. the other side has their way mm -hmm. and don't listen to anybody they don't know what they're talking about right. and maybe it's just we all should take a step back that's kind of what this is and maybe the guy has a curious feeling like i have a feeling that what everyone's saying is not exactly true 
Right. And, and, in the, and as the... I see it from above. Right. I want to make mention of one thing here, which is that there is a theme of the heart and the head and the yeah. war between them or mm-hmm. the dichotomy between them gets picked up with a lot of albums. You hear it, uh, for example, on uh, Hemispheres by Rush. Sure. But whereas, uh, and I'm just using these two as examples, whereas the, the Rush one has a sort of like grand epic feel, this album feels very much like um, an indoors album. It's a huge subject focused onto, the, onto one individual. Right. And in the, the context of this concept, this is the point where our... You know, our narrator, our character is, this is right before he falls in love yes. and the things, things start changing for him. So this is almost like this is the height of his awareness right. and his intel, yeah, the good yeah. times, the, well, the intellectual good times, yes. um, because we don't know if he favors one over the other, but, um, so this, in the context stories, it makes sense. But I love how Tony kind of wrote it in a way that it could be, like as Tom said, applicable to a wider, you know, right. meaning. So we'll move on to the end of side one with another instrumental, Forever Morning. Forever Morning! <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that really hit home to me when I first listened to this album is I never fully realised exactly how much instrumental music there is on it, and specifically that kind of neoclassical bombast, I <laughs> suppose, is the best way to describe it. And it reminded me a lot of... There's a band in England called The Enid, mm-hmm. um, fronted by um, a controversial figure called... And he's no relation called Robert John Godfrey. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
these the big sweeping swells, uh, you know, and I'm not talking like identical, but the, right. there are thematic like elements it of feels it. Similar, yeah, the feel yeah. of it really um, reminded me in places, the, especially these musical instrumental passages mm-hmm. um, of the Enid, um, who were operating around about the same time. Okay. So, do you like this track? Kind of as a standalone. I do, piece. I yeah. do. It, it, it's it's one of those um, things that have sneaked up and pinched me on the bottom. Really, it was <laughs> that was uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it, it. You know, when we were listening to this, I thought this is really good. Yeah. This is absolutely excellent. Yeah, I think it's it, to me, it's a good conclusion to side one. You've kind of reached the narrative part of the story where things are going well. And then there's this musical piece that is both, you know, affirming, but also a little bit has like it's foreshadowing to me. That's it's a, a little way bit of describing it. Yes, it's a little bit dark, but it's also feels okay for right now. Well, it's interesting to say that because the the words "forever morning" appeared mm. in the song "The Lie," right? And the line is, um, "He won't play that game again." Forever morning after the night before, when every one drop would cause pain. Mm-hmm. So that forever morning, he's still he's that's the period of that intellectual height he has before right. he falls in love. Right. And so this song is okay. We're we're coming to the sunset of this period of your life, and I think this the music absolutely reflects that kind of mood right. in many ways. Um, I think this is very or, one of the most orchestral pieces. Um, on the album, so it's kind of a hint of his uh, future right. in uh, mm-hmm. orchestral arrangements yeah. and writing and working with orchestras. Um, so yeah, it's, it's and as you said, I I like that this end side one. It's a very you know solid ending to the first side. Well, I like how you said height because I kind of picture this as the apex of the album because mm-hmm. I originally had. This has the same opening chord as the lie. Mm-hmm. Now I realize that the lie has the same opening chord as Forever Morning. Yeah. It, it's not based off of this. This is the the, the track which mm-hmm. also there's a couple of songs after this which harken back to Forever Morning. Mm-hmm. So kind of like this is the foundation. This is what kind of holds the album together. And there are some songs before it which lead up to it. There's some songs some songs after which mm-hmm. also lead up to it. Um, the only thing which I kind of wish I hadn't thought of in my head is it's like that there's that opening chord and then there's a bunch of chords after it. And in my head, I, I always associate it with a commercial from either the 80s or the 90s. I always hear the opening chord and I go, wait till we get our hands on you. <laughs> what? <laughs> I would have never made that connection. I, every time I hear that. And it, 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 it's bad because this is my favorite song on the album. And, and I've, for international of, listeners, yes. Haynes is an underwear t-shirt company. <laughs> um, I thought it was a sausage brand. Sausage. That's not, <laughs> not even better. That's what I sing along in my head, right? and I cannot get it out of it now. All right. Well, but, now but, it's but, gonna be in my head. Uh, but I love this song. This was a song that always takes me back to that year 2001 when I listened to it and for some reason this song always stuck with me and it's been like the focal point of this album you bought a lot of underwear that year (laughs) (laughs) and it just 
from start to finish, I just love the instrumental. I love the keyboards, the lushness of it, mm-hmm. and I'm a sucker for big organ sounds. Well, I'm also a sucker for big organs, but <laughs> <laughs> but the way this song ends, it's just it's really over the yeah. top. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love it. Out of all of the members of of Genesis, Tony Banks cares about the thematic development of of a song and this constant musical referrals and lyrical referrals mm-hmm. to forward and back in, right. in it. and I think that's something which he does very well in Genesis as well mm-hmm. and for the title of this I also look at the forever morning with the other meaning and spelling of morning m-o-u-r-n-i-n-g mm-hmm. with with how the first first vocal track was kind of the prelude to this sad story of somebody losing their intelligence, losing their mind. This, while it being also the pinnacle and forever mourning the peak of, you know, this this world that the, the main character has created, it's also, because you know the story, it's also forever a sad story. And so I think that it's, it's clever in that way that it uses the word in both the po- the positive way and again maybe i'm reading into it the more sad sad way in the context of the story that's deep man yeah <laughs> <laughs> let me smoke my doobie and move along here so anything else all right we will move on to you how strange i never known it your eyes are the color of your hair It seems to me you grow more beautiful In every way With every single passing day Look ripped and unseen
This is my favourite track on the uh, album. I was about to say You is my favourite track, but that just doesn't sound like it. Why, thank you. You are my favourite track. <laughs> yes. ah. And you were the sunshine of my mind. No. Ah. Um, I, I really love this in, in the same way that, um, that Tom was talking about the, the, the previous track um, being the pivot point. I think this is the moment in which um, the listener genuinely hears the change. It's the moment he meets the woman right. that effectively consumes him, I suppose is the best way to describe it, especially with the deal that he's made. And I, I also think it has the best opening line on the entire album, which is the How Strange I Never Noticed the Eyes of the Colour of Your Hair. Mm-hmm. That's a fabulous line. I mean, you, right. it kind of sort of sums up everything about what this track's going to be about. Right. And it's a very direct line for Tony Banks. Exactly, so. yeah. Uh, we, we do playfully take the piss out of some of his lyrics but the fact of the matter is is that he can write a great lyric and this in my opinion is one of his best lyrics right for every time i say like there's a clunker like i give respect to tony banks he does have some really good lyrics right and to me this is probably the best lyrics on there in fact i i wrote down this is Absolutely, my favorite love song of all Genesis solo and Genesis. Wow, like to okay. me, this is the best love song because it is. He really captures what love, like falling in love, is. It's that moment you recognize that that person means more to you than maybe they did in the past. You know, mm-hmm. it's strange. I never noticed the mm-hmm. eyes and the color of your hair. That person changes to you, mm-hmm. and it, he just sums it up so simply mm-hmm. and yeah. and very well. Um, and I do love the beginning. And I think Kim Beacon's vocals lend very yes. well to this type of song, like the softer love song. I think we talked before about how he was a bit stronger on some of the more sentimental mm-hmm. passages. Right. Um, do you like this better than Your Own Special Way as a love song? <laughs> um, yeah, I know it's tough to, 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 to imagine, but um, yes. Hells yes. Um. But it, it's also how this song develops. You know, it, it starts with this very, very gentle sort of 12-string and, and sort of fluty backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And, and as you say, Kim's voice sort of like floating over the top of it. But it gradually and very subtly builds pace. Yes, and, and has the second big keyboard time moment on the album where I think it's even better than the first one. I think the solo on this is tremendous. Yeah, I wrote one for the Vine much <laughs> in my notes. Yeah. It's yeah. very similar to me of that, you know, the kind of the breakdown disco part of right. uh, one for the wine. Oh, and, <laughs> and, it, and it's so good, they do it again. But there's, there's some very nice little themes wrapped yeah. up in all of this. You know, the little melody line that comes between the two parts of the keyboard mm, right. solo, which also repeats itself at the end. Yeah. It's also uh, kind of reminiscent of the very end of Duke's Travels, Duke's End. That's yes. what I was, when I hear the that, drama of that, kind of like subtle break, we're going to slow it down for a little bit. That kind of reminds me of mm-hmm. maybe Tony's like, maybe I'll use, use that idea in Duke's Travels, Duke's End. And I think the solo itself is very much, you know, both kind of evokes some of the melody, the vocal melody of the track, but also recasts it in a way that, heightens the drama of this uh, that's a that's a thread i always go back to with this music is genesis music so the solo members music is the sense of drama and the sense of dy- dynamism dynamism whatever that we yes <laughs> yes samalsis uh, uh, that they that is here that it is 
Oh, he'll never live that down, Tom. But that, but that, the drama of this keyboard solo and the drama of this music yeah. is is that when they kind of think to themselves, the band members say, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta come up with something for this." More often than not, they come up with a great part. It's and a cinema show slipper man moment, yes, isn't it? Yeah. I always thought of it too, like uh, the song from Spot the Pigeon, the last song, Inside and Out. Inside and Out. It's kind of got that, yeah, like vocal part for the first part then the instru- sure. instrumental part and for this I love the instrumental part mm-hmm. the first part is okay I do like the opening um, but it always seemed like lyrics that Peter and Tony would write back in 68, 69 like you're so beautiful I love you and like something that you would find on from Genesis to Revelation or a B-side at that time but there's a directness that I think works in that case like so. Tony is coming out of his shell definitely yeah. he's writing the direct love song at this point it's more mature than I think. Um, let us now make love. Um, <laughs> if we're let comparing to the, the the sixties lyrics, that was the number one come online. I know. In the 60s. Hey, let us now make love, baby. <laughs> well, we will now move on to somebody else's dream.
uh, Lady Lies much? <laughs> really? I didn't. Think You're of kidding that at me. All. No. I've the, never thought the that intro. Myself. It's totally Lady Lies. It's kind of in a slower. Da, 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 da. I mean, it's not an exact copy. Yeah, I hear you. Um, See, I was hearing more squonkiness than. Uh, <laughs> really? Like, what I heard was. Tony's balls dropping on the song because <laughs> <laughs> this song has the power and the roughness yeah. where like so it's a different meaning to the word clunker yeah. <laughs> it's it's like a song almost like you could hear Rutherford writing like with that yes. anthony kind of epicness and it's just like you know something's coming like this yeah. is going to be like an epic song yeah. where like yeah. this is a little deeper and heavier yeah. than it's... maybe some of the previous more feminine kind of quality songs you might have heard before it sounds the most band like of right, all the yeah. tracks right, and, right. and there have been moments of it before but this sounds like it's not just really just tony and chester this feels like it could be this is the most translatable song to genesis on this album yeah. and yeah. maybe maybe because it sounds sure. a bit like the lady lies or squant or something like that which honestly i never really made those one-to-one connections i see what you're talking about but yeah, i think the, i think sounding like the lady lies is an alternative fact for this kind of song <laughs> <laughs> no. thank you steve bannon <laughs> am i right in thinking that um tony banks played all or you played the everything but the drums on this album. Wow. This album. So, so he, he played the guitars as well. Yes. Yeah. So which he yes. said he played guitar on Genesis album. So yeah. that was not tough. He said right. the the bass the parts bass. were actually the hardest part right. for him on this album because it was outside his wheelhouse. Yeah, right? he just hadn't yeah, done it. Like it. And there's and there's not a lot of big bass parts on this album. In fact, this mm. track sounds more bass pedally than anything yeah. else. But it was something he had to think about that he hadn't really given a lot of attention to, I think, in the past. It's also, I think, the track in which Chester shines the most. Yes. I love the, the syncopated drum parts on mm-hmm. this, and he does lend it an awful lot of weight. Yes. Well, it's, it's funny, because this is the one of their first three three solo albums of Peter, Phil, or Mike. Mm-hmm. Like, I never really thought this on Phil's album. I never really thought this on Mike's album. But on Tony's album, I always thought... What would it sound like if Mike had added some guitar? What would it oh, sound okay. like if Phil had added some drums? Because as Tony Smith said, you can take away kind of any member of Genesis and it's okay, but you can't take away Tony. Right. So it's kind of like he's the core, and if this was the, the stuff that he contributed to Genesis, what would it sound like if Mike had a little guitar? And I think that's drums. Chester does a great job, but I think that if it had a little bit more guitar. It, it could be like maybe turned up to 11 on, on this album. But it would sound like a Genesis album. <laughs> I mean, just it's just a little bit more. Like there's hardly any, maybe a little bit on for a while, but yeah. like I don't hear any, there's no guitar solos. There's no uh, even strumming okay. that, you know. You just want it one more Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> it, would be, it would be interesting to hear a Tony Banks guitar solo. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> right. There were parts of it too that I think even harkening back to you that I would think about you know it would have been interesting to hear that you solo done by a guitar if if Hackett, if that was a track done by when Hackett was in the band I think he could have done taken that melody like Firth of Fifth and done things with it too so I hear what you're saying about it having a bit more guitar in this album but I'm also I don't think it's a lack necessarily it's more of just how this album is to go back to what we were talking about right at the beginning of the podcast about it being uh, a way of, of figuring out what each member of the band brought to the table, one of the other things you can do is look at it 
from the opposite way round, which is this is the album which no one could say no to Tony. So <laughs> it literally is coming out of Tony's head and onto the tape. So right. we're getting a very pure snapshot of what Tony likes to hear from a, from a musical right. perspective, albeit on a very on on a debut solo album, you right. know. And a song like this, it kind of makes me realize how much he had to contribute. A song like uh, "Somebody Else's Dream," how much he had to contribute to future songs like "Feeding the Fire" or mm, "On sure. the Shoreline," which kind of follow the same kind of style. But you know, this was I don't know, fifteen years earlier. Sure, sure. I think that I really like the vocal performance on this track. Mm-hmm. I think the vocal melody of this cla- of this track. Maybe because I liked these heavier type of songs, I just think this is a, a neat marriage of the vocal and the the mood of the song. Uh, and I like the little pre-chorus kind of vocals that are in there. There's a lot of there's a lot of great moments in this track uh, that I think just come out the more you listen to it. I kind of glaze over this track. I feel it to be a li- uh, you know I wrote down meh. <laughs> yeah, so it's three a bit, letters yeah it's yeah. a bit mid-tempo drag to me ah, i kind of glaze over after a minute or two okay. after the lady lies you know <laughs> right. part um i will say i think if you if you're able to listen to the remix and everything the 5.1 yeah. i think that does this is one of those tracks that i was looking forward to hearing right. in the remix because i thought that there was a good dynamic track buried under the sameness of the keyboard sounds and everything that that it does bring it out really yeah. well and it, so. it, to me also it feels a little bit of a letdown after you but that's because i have sure. major love feelings for you so it's a it's the bar set high right. after that but um yeah but it's you know it works and like i said it moves the story forward um there's a lot of words on this song uh, in the song um very wordy but um you know, it's interesting. He's kind of going through, uh, you know, understanding that now this change is happening right. and kind of this was yeah. withdrawal to the life he's known. Yeah. It's funny because I wrote a long song with lyrics. <laughs> I love this song. It is awesome. I mean, yeah, I didn't have any special feelings or, I mean, as Simon said, you know, the drums sound amazing and the, the song, the track sounds like a band, like mm-hmm. a full band. But I think that you say, wow. I like the syncopation, yeah. especially near the end, um, with the with the keyboards and the the drums. Especially that's um, it for me. It's it it does sound. It, there's a terrific Chester Thompsonness about yeah. the cymbal work on it and stuff. You know, there's a lot of syncopation. It's got a lot of groove to it. Right. In Tony's in the liner notes for the reissue, he says that you know. The Chester responded well to things like One for the Vine and other things that, as Tony said, he's like, I didn't think Chester would enjoy these. But he does, because his musical background was so different from Tony's. So he said, oh, I'll bring him in for the album. And I think it's in Armando Gallo's book, I Know What I Like, where Chester talks about that, you know, he, he knew Tony, but they weren't like buddy-buddy. So when he basically went over to, and stayed at Tony's house while they were kind of recording this or doing the process of getting ready for it and he said they got drunk a few times and they became really good friends after that so you know it's it's definitely you know when you're invited into tony world i guess it becomes you know that's when you know you're in the circle of trust yes, i was thinking exactly about that the circle of trust of tony banks wow. i always thought if i had to go what back in time that? i would go see the lamb live 
no, I want to go back when Phil, uh, sorry, when when Tony and Chester are getting drunk yeah. and join them. <laughs> That'll be a good night down at the pub, I think. Yeah. So, all right, we'll move on to the final instrumental of this album and the waters of Lethe. Lethe. I've always said Lethe, but we'll we'll go with the dictionary pronunciation today. Mike said this is pronounced the waters of Lethe. Uh, all this time we're pronouncing it the waters of Heathes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what do I know about pronunciation? You know nothing about it. I know nothing. <laughs> but uh, as, as we had alluded to before, how the album cover kind of alluded to a song, the album cover was called Wululate Something the Boatman. Mm-hmm. And uh, it had to do with the boatman who you pay to get across to the afterlife yes. across the river of sticks and once you got across the river of sticks into the afterlife mm-hmm. you would reach the waters of lethe oh, okay. which was a river in hades whose waters caused caused forgetfulness yes forget oh, i think that what it was i don't I, know i can't uh, <laughs> i want to be part of your writing sessions for the podcast <laughs> as you think about these things the um yes the waters of Lethe and I said before I always said Lethe for this because I never looked it up but fortunately Tom did look it up after the Heath Hayes incident incident yeah. and corrected himself <laughs> so it's a it's a it's a nice instrumental yeah. I said you know I, I don't put it up there with Forever Morning but it's a nice kind of it sets the mood for maybe in terms of this character kind of losing his mind and becoming moving down from the insanely brilliant as you mm-hmm. said to kind of losing that the waters of lethe are about forget- forgetfulness maybe his mind is now realizing that he's not going to start remembering everything that he does now mm-hmm. and that he sees his future and this could be the instrumental moving into the last couple songs right. it's the wistfulness of of passing time 
it is, might be a silly detail, but I love when, for instance, a track, the tide in this case, the water, uh, the waters of Lithi, you have to go, if you don't know Greek mythology, you have to sort of find mm. out what is Lithi, what does it right. mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's interesting to find out, basically. Tony lessons. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's Tony educational in many ways. Knowledge. So. This is my favorite instrumental oh, of the whole okay. album. Um, I just really love Because it. of the video. Well, the video, obviously. <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen it, you should do yourself a favor and check it out. And, uh, is it on YouTube? Then? I think it's it on YouTube. It's on YouTube. And if you've never seen Tony shirtless and oiled up, <laughs> you have to watch this that's, video. That's why it's Tom's favorite video. But the reason it's my favorite video is, uh, no. Um, I, I just love, like I said, the simplicity of it. I think... Mm -hmm. This is, you know, Tony's always, he's, like we were talking about earlier, he had, he's so good at arrangements and these layers and, you know, making the complex seem so simple. But this is so straightforward mm -hmm. and it's a very beautiful melody line that carries throughout. Mm -hmm. um, I just really enjoy listening to it. Uh, it makes me zen. Um, <laughs> And, and I love how it does build towards the end. So you can kind of hear, like, he's starting out, he's like, like Tom was saying, he's, this is where he's in the story, he's realizing that things are changing and he's going to start to, he's forgetting things. And then I feel like the end where it really builds, he's trying to fight against it. Um, and I, it, it's just really well done. Um, start to finish, just beautiful, beautiful track. And, uh, I also realized that it reminded me a lot of Duke. And Simon said mm -hmm. earlier, cul-de-sac specifically. And sure. this is, you know, uh, we talked about this with Small Creeps Day. Mm -hmm. the, you know, this period of their career, you can really hear, I think more so than uh, their later solo albums, you can really hear, like, um, where they were. Um, and a lot of this album, to me, sounds, it's either... And then there were three, Duke and Wind and Wuthering. Like mm -hmm. so much, like you go, oh, yeah. oh, 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 there, there, yeah. there, yeah. Um, more so than any of the solo members for their albums like Phil's Face Value and Small Creeps Day with Mike Rutherford. I mean, here, with a curious feeling, you can easily, one, know how much Tony contributed to Genesis um, and how, you know, <laughs> influential and in way he muscled his music <laughs> into the albums because it, it just, yeah. Like you, we were saying earlier, he is the core. He's the this, general, isn't he? He is the general, sure. and this song is a beautiful example of that. I think I may be wrong about here in generalizing every band, but I think every band has that one person who's, if you don't get that person on your side, you're not going to get, it's yeah. not moving the forward. The benign dictator. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's, Tony was that in Genesis. Maybe it was Tony and Peter back in the early days, but... It's, it really and seems as well I yeah yeah so and I think that but I don't know if Ant was ever as much of a the personality for that are you calling Tony Banks a cuckoo <laughs> <laughs> he was he was a strong personality and I think that's that's fine because I think every band needs that and uh, Roger Waters was that in Pink Floyd and then David Gilmore became that for example you know those are those are those big names that you can kind of point to but i think that getting back to this track it was i think this is to me the transition to the end and i think the end works really well here sometimes but it's also because it is a depressing story a sad story it's not a big up ending like supper's ready for example it right. is more of a a lower key ending and so i think this sets that stage for it really nicely you do get a sense of the melancholia ramping up as the tracks yes. are going on yeah 
like you kind of had the happiest moments during you and maybe ignoring your curious feeling itself and then the decline starts so you know it's that duchess model wave yeah, of the beginning the height of success and then yeah. the tailing off so that's that was on tony's mind a lot at this point i think it's also a bigger a bigger question question or point other than this song is that i think it's also interesting that both tony did a concept album for his first solo album and on mike's album for Small Creeps Day, it, was, it wasn't the whole album, but there was a side song right. story on there that they were both in that mode of, oh, maybe we can do longer stories. I think it's because <laughs> Peter Gabriel shot down their uh, concept ideas <laughs> right, for The yeah. Lamb. And they're like, okay, I'm right. going to do it on my solo album. <laughs> I do wonder if, if this was Tony's idea back then. or you It could have been. Yeah. yeah. Like nothing, he, list, nothing exists in isolation. Right. And the story always is that, you know, Mike had this idea for doing The Little Prince back then. Right. Uh, but... And, and that was the only idea that even came close to defeating Peter's Lamb idea. But I do wonder if there were, if Steve or Tony even kind of bandied about anything at that point. So I, I think it was almost a good thing that at this point there was a musical about to be gone called Flowers for Algernon <laughs> because this was late 70s. I think the concept albums based on a work of literature or something, they had kind of run its time. Mike kind of get, got away with it with a side right. dedicated to Small Creeps Day. I think if Tony had come out with an album called Flowers for Algernon, I think it would just would have been dismissed right. in kind of like, oh, here's another old school progressive Would have been too person. derivative at that right. point. Yeah. The fact that it was just, I think it kind of helped the album a little bit because it did chart, what, 21 or something? Yeah, that it wasn't just harkening back to, okay, now we're just going to yeah. have like a whole concept album based on this one album, based on this one book. It did receive some pretty um, scathing reviews at the time, but when we remember when when you think about it, this is the height of of the uh, punk and new wave era. Yeah. There wasn't a huge amount of patience for for, for pieces like this. Right. Um, but I suppose you have to look to the long game. Really, yeah. at the end of the day, sort of like you know, this album still stands up even. Right. X many years later. We're spending over an hour now talking <laughs> yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. it. 2017. Yeah. So of course, and I, I think that says more about us than the album. Well, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't going to be the one to say that, but fine. But it, the, the way he did it is so subtle. Like Simon said earlier, he didn't realize it was a concept album until like earlier yeah. this week. So you don't, so unless right. you're really paying attention to the lyrics. Right. Um, you know, there is a sense, I always had the sense it was a cohesive, you know, piece of work, right. just the arranged musical mood, arrangement right. alone lend itself to that. But he does this so well and it's such a subtle story, yeah. um, even more so than small creeps. I think, mm-hmm. um, it works. So even if you don't know it's a concept, it doesn't right. matter. It just all hangs together mm-hmm. really well. Um, yeah. So I agree with you. If he called it out as a specific concept and called it Flowers of Algernon, I think it would have tanked given, yeah, yeah not, maybe in 1972 it could have worked, but not in 79. It would have tied it too much to one other thing. And so I yeah. think it's it's nice that it that Tony was kind of forced into rewriting parts to make it stand on its own mm-hmm. uh, and still have the same basic arc of story of right. somebody, you know, is you know, reaches a pinnacle that they couldn't have reached before, but then falls from it. You know, it's a fall from grace story, and that's that's always interesting. As I, I might have mentioned before, I was surprised exactly how much 
instrumental music was contained within mm-hmm. within the two sides um, and I think it says an awful lot more about uh, about how cleverly it was actually in you know integrated into the into the album right. because I never really noticed that it's a, there's a huge swathe of instrumental music well we'll move on to the single from the album for a while <laughs> to me obviously is kind of the kind of conclusion of the story in some ways other than the kind of sad epilogue of in the dark and it really mimics both in sound and feel the first vocal track on the album lucky me it has the same feel to it and it's almost the character is almost resigned to their fate and not quite lucky me but it was I I identify with the idea of oh, it was okay for a while like it was it was worth it you know that's that's the message I kind of get from this that it was it was everything that happened to this person was worth it a musical shrugging of the shoulders yeah which is kind of both ambivalent in some ways but also affirming yeah so it's like he, this song he's having a bit of an epiphany like yeah, it sucks that I'm losing my memory, but right. I got a great chick to hang out with, <laughs> and she let me hold hold her hand, that's and right. that's not so bad. And you know, it is it is what it is. I think that's right. really to, to that could sum up the song for me. I, maybe I'd have a better appreciation if I knew "Flowers for Algernon." Like this song seems very airy, very not very deep. But if I knew that the story were at this point. He's realizing that he's down this road that he's not mm-hmm. going to come back for, but he can appreciate what he had for even just a brief time, mm-hmm. even just for a while, mm-hmm. maybe would rank a little higher. But for me, it's, I can't help but think that it sounds a lot like a different song. Like I know Tony gets a little, some flack because he thinks that his afterglow was a little bit like Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Right. That's nothing compared to this song, which I think is tears on my pillow if you know that song by the drifters okay. this song the rhythm the beat sounds 
very like it, at least up until okay. the chorus. And if you go to our website, tabletopgenesis.com, you'll be able to see a mashup of that <laughs> scene from Greece where they dance at Tears on a Pillow, but it's too For a While by Tony Banks. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see how well they sync up all very, right. very succinctly. All right. We all in our lives, here's a, here's a wait, I, I just realized this is another Tony lesson. Okay. Yes. We all in our lives have things that, for whatever reason, are taken away for, from us. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a loved one right. or an experience ends or, you know, a, a page is turned. But, yeah, you know, you have to at least appreciate that it was a good thing for a while and mm-hmm. it was a part of your life and mm-hmm. it should be acknowledged as such. So I think, too, like that's what try, Tony's maybe trying to get across in the song mm-hmm. as well. My one critique of this, and maybe of the album as a whole, is that Tony has talked about this as a, it's the story of a, a person losing their mind. And to me, this the conclusion of this doesn't quite convey that to me. It's more like it's more like the Flowers for Astronauts story, except it's somebody who wasn't developmentally challenged early on. It's almost like they're reverting to the norm. And so it's it's not like they're we know from the prelude of in lucky me that the person has a job they're doing their thing you know they might not be anybody special in air quotes around special but they they're still moving forward they're still existing they were they're not the heights they were at before but if it's about somebody losing their mind i don't get that from the story as a whole it's that they're losing the intelligence that they had perhaps so or maybe what they personally thought made them unique or special in the first place yeah and are they still unique and special in the story this is a normal working guy i guess at the at the what they kind of revert back to what the person reverts back to so i think it's interesting so it's it just doesn't give me the depth maybe that i thought that the story would have right because it's a light kind of song yeah like it's it belies what's happening right like the like the person tone of the music doesn't match what's happening right story-wise right. until the very end right well, <laughs> and there is a video for this so if you haven't yes. seen it oh, and if you don't have yeah. the uh it's so if you don't know what kim beacon looks like this is a great opportunity to check it out yeah. it's on the reissue with the dvd from 2009 with the surround mix and everything and the right. video for this was supposedly shown somewhere the video for the Tony <laughs> 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 exactly. The video for the Waters of Lethe. I think that Tony didn't even remember doing it when they discovered it on whatever tapes. They he were. didn't even know it was being filmed. Right, it was, exactly. it was just playing all this, and it he was has on the toilet. As yes. yeah. <laughs> that's where he keeps his keyboards. So exactly. do your best writing in that area. He was, so. he was in the front seat of a car playing the keyboards. Uh, no, no. <laughs> You're thinking. Do what you want. Yeah. <laughs> you got to. Yes, we will talk about that someday. So, but um, but yeah. So with that, we go to the very last track on the album, "In the Dark." Don't want to 
Well, this is the feel-good-out track on the album, really. Exactly. I think it's the music that Tony would sing to his kids as they fell asleep. Uh, it does, because it has that almost lullaby feel to it. Does, it does, it does sound like yeah. a lullaby. Yeah. If you speak another language, if you don't know English, that's all. That's fine. Yeah, if it feels... <laughs> pretty it's it's a pretty little song that you want to kill yourself to (laughs) but yeah it's it's i think that this is what when i was really listening to this and going along with the lyrics for the first time when i hit this part i know it was a sad story but i almost thought it was just a conclusion and then reading this you know maybe one day before i die i'll open that door maybe i'll cry but for now i'll live in the dark it's like, oh my god! It's like, and, and I think that's what made me think. I'm like, does this character commit suicide at the end, or what's what's going on here? And it's it's just this to me is the isolation of mental illness. If we're talking about a character losing their mind, this does that much more than for a while might. Oh, absolutely! Right. Yeah, that whole desperation yeah. and. You know something's wrong, right? right. And you, you, you know something's not right, probably because of the people around you are acting differently. But you don't know how to say it. You know, you hear that a lot with, like, Alzheimer's patients yeah. and people with yeah. dementia. Like, they don't know, they can't quite express that they know they're in some mental decline. But they notice that the people around them and their environment it, and their life has changed. Right. And this kind of, you know, reflects that in many ways. Like, you know you're in pain. It will bring you pain to finally have that realization and understand what's really wrong. Right. Um, yeah, it's a big kick in the gut, this, this track. <laughs> I know from bitter experience, this is not the track you want to put a request on because it clears the door of the roller disco <laughs> in seconds. I love this new Tony Banks track. <laughs> put it on. This is something you wear around your arm. You don't put this on your fucking turntable. <laughs> This is the second single from the album. (laughs) But there's another side to this, which is that it is... I'm not entirely sure if there was any other way he could end this album. You're right. I think that this... It feels right. I mean, with all the kind of joking that we're doing about singing it to his kids and stuff like that, it feels like the right ending for this album. Oh, yeah. it's, It's something that... And I don't necessarily feel sad listening to this but it is a satisfying ending and it's it works as a piece of complete art well, I didn't I didn't feel sad before I heard you guys all talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> what this track means and I'm really depressed yeah, it's like oh I'm just sitting in the dark that's fun right I'm no but it is, it is that yeah. realization that now you have become isolated from society because your mind doesn't work the same way that everybody else's mind exactly. works. Through your own yeah. choice. And this is the thing that, yeah. that, uh, that this, this album really sort of like hits home is mm-hmm. that none of this was accidental. This was a deliberate movement through a set of decision gates yeah. which left him at this point in his life. But can you decide whether or not you fall in love? That is true. Mm. Mm. A, that's our next <laughs> podcast yes. as we as get into the relationship world. No, I mean he he could uh, Tony could have easily tacked on. He could have done what Merlion did with Brave. They mm. they had this really depressing concept album where a woman dies at the end. So they threw on this happy love song at the at the oh, end, okay. so it wouldn't end on a downer. Right. And I always thought this was a curious feeling. I was like maybe. You know, Tony could have put a, another song at the yeah. end, or put "Curious Feeling" at the end, yeah. even. Or even switch this in for a while. 
Yeah, and, and done it that way. But I, I think, as, as Mike it, said, it, it sounds right. You know, it's gut-wrenching. It sounds yeah. right. It takes courage to end an album Absolutely. this way. And I think yeah. that's that's truer to the story than, you know, sticking a happy song on the end so yeah. you just stitch a happy song on the right, end. Right, right. So, no, I, I, like I said, I've never, it was it was really, I never critiqued the, the end of this album and didn't really realize how sad it was until I really went through the lyrics mm-hmm. and, and to pay attention to the story. And, you know, it's, it, it, it works. The other thing that I've noticed is how similar the, the arc, the emotional arc is uh, between A Curious Feeling and Small Creeps Day. Yes. Uh, about they have this, this, this peak and then it, it drops down into... Well, I won't say drops. That's that's maybe the mm-hmm. wrong way to describe it. But it, it it ends on a on a very downbeat moment yeah. um, in the story. Which and and I said I I don't think there's any way that it could have gone any other direction. To be honest with you, and I think I think he was successful with it. I mean, although it, again, you know, maybe it's taken us all a while to kind of you know in our listening lives to get to the point of of knowing the story with this, but. Again, it's an album that has legs to it because of that. Mm-hmm. So, again, you know, Tony's material may not have sold very well, but I think the people who bought it, it probably really connected with them. I, I think it, and that's why I like his solo material. I think that overall, it's really personally connected with me. So, there's a there's a big difference between, uh, I mean, for example, Phil Collins' solo material mm-hmm. um, has he has a, a, an immense ability to reach out and touch you with his world whereas mm-hmm. i think with tony banks it's a door which you have to go in right he he, he i don't think he's a reacher he's he very much is someone that that, that, mm-hmm. that says come in right you know and that is something which th- this album really does if you if you choose to be there and choose to listen to it it'll reward you mm-hmm. right. but it won't go out of its way to try and Hike its skirt, you know, so to speak, and uh, and try and te- yeah, and try and tempt you in. So, on that metaphor, I think we should choose our favorite track from the album for each of us. Who would like to go first? Oh, I, I I think I said earlier my favorite is after the lie. My favorite with vocals is after the lie, but overall, forever morning. You. Promise, lucky me. All right, <laughs> lucky me. Oh. I don't know why. That's fine. If it works for you, that's the, you can't critique somebody's taste. I so. can, um, <laughs> but yes, but we all will after the podcast. Yeah, right? For me, um, it uh, it comes down to two tracks: you and somebody else's dream, and I put a star by you. Aww. So that's high five there, man. Yes, high five across the table. Bro hug. Exactly. Bro. I think I, I'm a sucker for the emotional stuff mm-hmm. and for this this type of things. And, and and that's what I listen to this band and this music and this family of musicians for. So when a track comes along like you, that is that distilled, uh, that has everything that you're looking for in it, it's it's a no brainer. So, how about the enormous poll that we had that was going on forever and ever on our website. It was on Viagra, that poll. Yes, I like what Ellie said. It was a curious poll. If that poll lasts more than four hours, please consult the position. (laughs) Tom shows you his poll. All right, well, coming in number one at my poll, at the top very tip of my poll, 
was at the very top of my poll was you. <laughs> I don't know how you got there, but <laughs> with twenty percent of the vote, the the top favorite of the fans who voted right. were was you. All right, which All right. I can kind of see because because it, it's got that kind of half instrumental, half yeah, kind of it, vocal. It appeals to everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Second place coming in with thirteen percent of the vote was a big surprise because I don't think any of us really care for it that much for a while wow oh, number really? two it was the hit single of the, the album single, exactly. that's Maybe. what everybody knows it for <laughs> <laughs> exactly. number three at 12 percent was from the undertow all right which you kind of see being up there mm-hmm. yeah number four with 11 percent was the waters of lethe okay mm-hmm. another instrumental yes it's good and rounding out the top five was 10% after the lie, which both okay. Stacey well, and I did like. It was her favorite track, mine favorite with vocals. Right. Tied for number six were two tracks at 9%, A Curious Feeling mm-hmm. and Somebody Else's Dream. Oh, I thought Somebody Else's Lucky Dream would have been higher. Lucky me didn't get any votes. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, voted something but, else. Lucky you and me, Ellie. Well, you must have voted. <laughs> we were way in the bottom. And coming in number seven was The Lie with 7%. Okay. Then finally, my track with only 6% for Every Morning. I really thought that would score higher, but hmm. I don't know. And number nine was Lucky Me with only 3%. And the last track, I guess there aren't many two romantic people. It was in the dark <laughs> with, with 2% of the vote. The roller disco song. Yeah. Wait, but, but there was no goose egg track on no. There was no goose egg track on this oh, album, okay. which might be a first. I don't. Recall yeah. there may, may have been one or two other albums with no goose eggs, but right. it's very rare. Yeah. Usually, yeah. Uh, some track gets no votes. Right. Interesting. Well, so thank you, all thank you all for participating in my poll. Right. Watch out for the next one. It comes at you fast. <laughs> um, so, final thoughts on this album. Uh, great first effort, Tony. Uh, I definitely appreciate appreciate it a little bit more, knowing that it does kind of follow a concept theme. And uh, I just like how it kind of peaks at Forever Morning, and then you know the protagonist is taking a downturn, and and it, it just re- really kind of grips you. And then the end where in the dark comes, it's just it's a great ending, and you don't have to end it happy. It's a story. The story yeah. is what it is, and if it ends sad, it ends sad. Yeah, I I agree with Tom. This was a fantastic you know first foray into the solo album for Tony. Kudos for doing bass, guitar, and yeah. keys, and and everything. Um, you know, you don't even tell, like we, we were talking earlier, Simon and I, and we were like, well, who played bass and who, we, we didn't even think that Tony right. would have done it. Um, but it, it's brilliant. And I think, you know, this album has inspired a legion of neo-prog keyboardists. <laughs> um, so if you like the neo-prog, mm-hmm. uh, scene, especially the, the, the bands that have the keyboard sound, you just need yeah. to listen to this album you can see where they got all it's their inspiration the for it. <laughs> it is the granddaddy um you know there's so much that i because i listen to a lot of you know current and maybe you know past uh prog mm-hmm. bands out there and you can always ah oh, they're a tony Banks fan mm-hmm. uh they had a curious feeling when yeah. they were learning <laughs> well it's interesting too that the you talked about with tony doing everything except the drums on this right. you know Feels very much like that too. They're yeah. very similar personalities, right. where it's like this is our. I'm gonna do whatever I can on this album, Absolutely. And, and he finally did everything with both sides mm-hmm. when he when he did that. So he has the benefit of knowing how to play drums too. Right. So interesting. I'm never gonna love this album. Mm-hmm. It's just not my kind of music. Sure, but I think it's a really good album. Right. 
Um, I sometimes, you know, you can you can tell when there's quality at work mm-hmm. without it maybe connecting one hundred percent with right. you. Um, there are moments on this album which I love, mm-hmm. um, but it will never be my go-to album when it comes to uh, Genesis solo albums. That said, a wonderful piece of music mm-hmm. which I have learned a huge amount about. <laughs> Because of this podcast. Very good. I kind of agree with Simon. It's not my super favorite of my solo albums. But I still like it. I think it's, a anyway, a great piece of work. Yeah, I, I, I really do love this album. I think it it does connect with me because I've always liked Tony's solo stuff. And this was probably... I don't know if I heard this or The Fugitive first. I might have actually heard The Fugitive first mm-hmm. now that I think about it. Uh, might have been easier to find on CD, amazingly enough. Which I think is the better album. Really? Opinion, well, yeah. then we'll, we'll have to do a podcast on The Fugitive, too, because I, I do like that album also. I think that of the first solo albums for each of the band members, I may like this one the best. It's either probably, well, you know, every time I start thinking about this, <laughs> I'd say for me the top three three of the first solo albums are this face value and voyage of the acolyte and probably depending upon the day that number one number two position may change for that but i think pretty solidly the this is in the top three of the first solo albums so i really enjoyed that commit commit (laughs) Commit. well today because we're talking about a curious feeling i will say it's my number one two Two, three, no, wait. (laughs) On that note, thank you all for listening. We look forward to giving you more of these podcasts in the future. And let us know what you think about Curious Feeling. This is Mike signing off. This is Ellie. This is Simon. Goodbye, everybody. Bye from Tom. (laughs) See y'all later. listening to this episode of Tabletop Genesis. Archived episodes can be found at tabletopgenesis.com, along with updates, polls, and various other podcast-related news. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to have the shows automatically downloaded to your computer when we post new episodes. To keep up with all the Tabletop Genesis activity, follow us on Twitter at Genesis Tabletop. You can like us on Facebook by searching for Tabletop Genesis, and you can email us directly at genesistabletop at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast or send us questions we can address on future episodes.